When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to HeyYA Extra Credit. This short-form podcast will hit your feeds every week opposite the main HeyYA show, and the focus is on a separate Norman Klein book in each episode. Klein was an early YA writer doing work similar to that of Judy Bloom in the 1970s and 80s that pushed boundaries and dove into topics so few others were approaching at the time. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen. You can get a complete schedule of books to be discussed in the show notes. Today's episode focuses on Love is One of the Choices, which was her third YA book, or third book for teen readers, as they call it. Um, And it is the um, earliest published in her career that I have read so far in this this series. Uh, It focuses on two teen girls, one named Maggie and one named Caroline. They're both seniors in high school when the story starts. And uh, it follows as they have a number of relationship journeys with um, the opposite sex and also with their friendship. Um, I will get to that in a second. Since I have been reading the Kirkus reviews for her books as I've gone along, I'm going to do that again today. I kind of like how... They give a good summary of what the book is about that allows me to just sort of dive in with some reactions and reflections. So this is from the Kirkus Review. The book was published um, in 1978. I believe it was in June 1978. So here's the review from Kirkus. As another of Klein's sermons about the power of love and dishy sex to melt the ice traps of teenagerdom. Maggie and Caroline are Manhattan schoolmates who land some distance from initial aspirations. Maggie would like to be a career scientist with free-form attachments. Caroline, the artist, is attuned to a pastel domesticity. Both are one-parent children. Maggie lives with her widower father, a good-natured Freudian psychiatrist, and a camaraderie partnership. Caroline's pleasant, somewhat more conservative mother is divorced. The two 18-year-olds are almost simultaneously catapulted into their first sexual experiences. Virgin Maggie pairs off with Virgin Todd in his apartment, quote, so he'll be here in the morning, end quote, benignly inquires her father. But Caroline's lover is 28-year-old Justin, her science teacher, married, and a father. Their rousing affair, fought off at first by Justin, has Justin's wife running off to commit suicide. Caroline's mother takes the relationship in stride. She has her own plans. Quote, Malcolm and I have been talking about the idea of, well, living together, end quote. Well, 
Basically, Caroline and Justin do marry, while liberated Maggie, softened by the near-saintly Todd, reconsiders domesticity. With lots of me-generation talk and nubile sex, this should appeal mainly to the savvy young, particularly those who fantasize about getting teacher in the sack. I cannot believe that that review was actually run. I don't feel like Kirkus would be able to write something like that um, nowadays. But I really do feel like it captures a lot of what this particular book does and sort of the tone of the book. So um, from the onset, I have to say I was shocked that there was no pushback about the relationship between Caroline, who is 18, and her science teacher, who is 28 at the time of the story. Um, he the, the story begins when Maggie and Caroline, who goes by the nickname Carrie, so if I use that um, interchangeably, it's the same person, but Carrie and Maggie uh, go to Justin's house one day because Maggie's going to babysit his son. Uh, Justin has mono, so he's been sick and... Um, no, sorry, she did not go to babysit initially. She went to, like, drop off work at his house because he had been sick and had missed a lot of school uh, as a teacher. That's when he asks if there could be a babysitter. Um, there's been some challenges with his relationship with his wife, and they need a babysitter for their young son as they sort of figure out what they're going to do together, uh, whether they're stay together, whether they're separating, um... And Carrie offers to become the babysitter. So over the course of a few babysitting experiences, we see her developing this relationship with Justin that first feels very oddly like he um, he needs a therapist and she sort of becomes that outlet for him. Whereas we see her starting to really be intrigued by this idea of dating an older man and um, all this is sort of taking place at the same time that Justin and his wife are going through separation so this is not actually like a definition of an affair but rather um, Justin having this relationship as his marriage is dissolving however we don't get to see very much of his wife and, and sort of what her experiences are. And as the Kirkus Review said, she does ultimately die by suicide. This is something that was so radical, I think, in this book, and yet wasn't discussed beyond that it happened. Um, we do, near the end of the book, have a moment where Carrie doesn't believe that Justin has really mourned the loss of his uh, then ex-wife, and Justin sort of has this moment of explaining to her that he has been grieving and that grief, even in a, in a relationship that no longer is what it used to be, is something that can bubble up and down and something that isn't necessarily an experience you have once and then it ends. So, um... That was one of those moments, one of the rare moments in this book where I felt like we have a real adult in this book um, that as childish as sort of the whims and fancies that Justin undertakes are, he also has this really interesting perspective as an adult that we haven't seen in other adults in this book. Um, Maggie's father and Caroline's mother are pretty much just there as sort of parents who don't have direction or parents who also have a lot of secrets 
and parents who like are totally okay with these relationships going on. Um, so Maggie starts dating this boy that she meets at a, a debate conference. So they're the same age and her father is super okay with her, like having him spend the night with them having sex. And, um, he bought her a diaphragm for, I can't remember what the, the, what the occasion was, the celebration that he bought her that for. And it becomes a big plot point that this is like a thing she has and can use any time. And, um, certainly it's progressive, but also it's sort of, a really strange power dynamic in their relationship, um, as father and daughter. Um, there's also a moment where Caroline talks about also having a diaphragm and I didn't quite catch where that came in or, um, how that came about. Both of them are virgins at the beginning of the story. Both of them lose their virginity, um, as, as the story progresses in these two relationships that they're having. And, um, so I thought it was really radical that birth control comes up, that it's discussed over and over. It's discussed more than once, but it's very, I think, I don't want to say unrealistic because I certainly do think there are relationships that are like that uh, between parents and children. I've seen them before, but um, I think it, it felt idealized in how easy and how straightforward it was. Um, and that felt a bit unrealistic. So I'm going to I'm going to talk more broadly about Norma Klein's work at this point and then talk about a couple other things in in this particular book. Um so this is the third book I've read in in this short form podcast series and this is the second one that ne- hasn't necessarily been reissued or had any sort of big fanfare around it. So this is one of the, I guess you can say, mid-list titles of her her books. And um, it's really interesting to think about the two books that have sort of maintained power and have sort of stayed with readers since their initial publication, those being Domestic Arrangements, which was the first episode of the series, and Mom, the Wolf, Man, and Me, which I'll be talking about in August with uh, YA author Brandy Colbert. It's interesting to think about where and why maybe some of her other books have faded a bit more into obscurity, but more I'm really fascinated to think about two particular things. The first thing being, um, I wonder how readers who fell in love with her work when they were growing up would feel revisiting these books. Um, As I'm reading them, there are many things in them that I'm just like taken aback by and how radical and revolutionary they are. Um, Particularly, there's a lot of incredible discussion about sex, incredible openness about um, females in particular, teen girls in particular, having sex and having this autonomy uh, with their body and and making the choices that they want to make. Um, I think that stuff was, was just... We don't see it enough now. Certainly in the 70s and 80s, it was even even less prominent in in YA. So um, I think that that stuff is is incredible. But um, related to the second thing I want to talk about is this idea of growing up and and adulthood more specifically. Um, 
in all three of the books, the parents have been very juvenile, have been um, more like teenagers than the teenagers themselves have been. And I find this to be something really interesting to think about and maybe something that is worth revisiting in the next books as, as I continue reading the, the, the Klein books. Um, they're very, very young and very sort of all over the place. They're often regretful about the things that they haven't done and they're making decisions now as adults that um, have much more consequences to them and yet they don't care about those consequences at all. Um, They read to me much more like teenagers than the teenagers themselves do and it's interesting to to look at that and think about it in terms of the narrative itself. Um, Do we as readers reading this get the real picture of who these adults are or are we only getting it as filtered through the teen lens? So are we only getting Maggie's dad through Maggie's perspective? Are we only getting Carrie's mom through Carrie's perspective? And um, I think when it's considered in that light, it makes more sense why we see such a sort of strange, I guess is is the best word to use, um, relationship between the teens and the parents. So Maggie and her dad having such an open conversation about sex, having open conversation about birth control and about um, just enjoying one's body sexually, it's filtered through Maggie's perspective. So we only ever get to see like what it is she wants us to see. And that is such a very singular perspective. We aren't sort of given this broader look at who her father is. Um, We know he is a psychiatrist. We get this background into the fact he's a Freudian psychiatrist. We hear about the couches, the way that people talk about um, their experiences with him and how to, he sort of shares what he does with Maggie and the people he knows. Um, But again, this is all filtered through Maggie, giving it a really singular perspective and it's just something really interesting to think about um, because I wonder if uh, to bring it back to that first thing that's fascinating me more broadly um, it's interesting to think about how readers who grew up with these books and love them would look at them now and think about how the teens are portrayed as well as how the adults are portrayed Um, in this book Justin the teacher who is having the um, relationship with his teen student at the time, and then they're no longer students, but still dating. They move in together, they get married, and near the end of the book, Caroline is pregnant. Um, She's only 18, 19. Um, She's still a teenager when this is going on, and that becomes a a plot point in the story, but not not necessarily the most interesting one. Um, One that didn't, like, captivate me quite as much as I thought it might. Uh, But what what interests is me is that Justin is really young. He's a young teacher. Um, he's in his mid to late twenties and, uh, he's going through some big life changes already. So he's been married. He has a child. He's, um, going through a divorce, but then he's also having this relationship with a teen girl and, and there's no pushback here. There's no real questioning of it at all. Um, Carrie's mom at one point is like, oh, do you think this is a good idea? And when Carrie's like, yeah, you know, I really care for him. Carrie's mom's like, well, have him over for dinner. And that's sort of the end of it. Um, there's no like 
discussion of the power imbalance. There's no discussion of the ethics that go into, you know, a teacher-student relationship at the high school level. Um, there's really no pushback when Carrie decides that she's going to move in with him um, after they've been dating for a little bit less than a year. Um, and again, he's her teacher. Like, they are actual, they have a student-teacher uh, relationship. She's in his chemistry class. So so it's interesting to see to see how that um, he is simultaneously like the most mature adult in the story, but also the one who is least aware, I think, of what he's doing and what that might say about him or reflect upon him and his own um, choices that he's making. In terms of Maggie and her relationship with Todd, I just I didn't find it as interesting, I think, in part because it, it's a pretty typical teen relationship. Uh, there are ups and downs. The back cover description talks about, um, I'm just going to read the paragraph. It says, Maggie is brilliant and very self-assured. She considers herself a feminist until she meets Todd Lamport, who challenges everything she's ever believed in and draws her into a special love affair. Suddenly, independence doesn't seem the only way of life. Um, it's a little bit misleading. Um, more like Todd challenges her on some of her ideas of feminism because, um, there's this interesting dynamic between Carrie and Maggie. They're best friends, and yet they actually don't talk to each other a whole lot in the story. Um, they they care about each other. You see that, but um, it's more about their perspectives of each other rather than their actual experiences with each other. Um, Maggie thinks that she is far more feminist and far more forward-thinking than her best friend, whereas her best friend sort of is tentative about a relationship at all, and that allows herself to go full force into everything that she thinks that she wants. It doesn't mean that she doesn't question having this relationship or sort of um, changing her life plans to have this relationship, but rather she isn't worried about how it looks on the outside. She's doing something that she thinks she really wants. Uh, whether or not she really does want it is one of the underlying threads throughout the story, but um, it's it's interesting to see Maggie doing far more of the questioning, the far more of the um, inability to make choices, the, the uh, tentativeness, rather than her best friend, who she believes has those qualities. Um, it's a really interesting way to see their their friendships um, and their uh, relationships with um, the two boys slash men in the story and then with one another. Um, I don't think I have any real quotes that I want to read. Um, it is very forthright in terms of sex, as I mentioned before, but, like, the words are actually on the page. There's no um, fading to black here. Um, I will say that one thing that was sort of pleasantly surprising was that weight wasn't an issue in this book the same way that it was in um, the two later books that I've read, um, almost as if image consciousness became a thing that the author kind of got... Um, curious with and also attached to in later books. Um, I, don't, I don't know for any other readers out there, but when you read more than one book by an author, if you read their whole collection, you start to see the things that they return to again and again. And whether it's something that they intentionally do or not, it's always interesting to be like, huh, you know, I've read six books by this author and they all have something strange with the mother. Like what does that say if it says anything about what the author thinks about a mother figure? Um, 
So, so it's interesting to look at an earlier book in Klein's catalog that doesn't bring in the weight stuff and the weight talk the same way that her later books have so far. I think that that might be all I have to say on this one. Oh, no, I lied. I have one more thing to say. There's no ending in this book. Um, it's a very bizarre, sudden, abrupt ending, almost like Klein couldn't figure out how to let these two girls reevaluate their relationships with each other and then their relationships with their partners. Um, she Maggie gets in a car with Todd after seeing uh, Caroline and Justin and... They basically set off into the sunset, except we don't know where that sunset is. We don't know what's next. Um, it was sort of one of those things as I'm reading, I'm thinking, where is this going to go? And the answer was nowhere. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, so there's no real ending to this one. Again, I think I mentioned to be aware it does talk about suicide. It doesn't go into it too much, though, which is actually a detriment in this book. Um I do have a note in here about how Klein gets at the uneven relationship here. Justin is mature uh, with an adult life and mentality, whereas Carrie is really a high schooler. We don't see it question, we don't see it push, but we see it as readers on the page, how it plays out, um, how the two of them are living their lives. And we see it especially in relation to um, the death of Justin's wife and, and how they both react to it. So I... I like this one better than I like Family Secrets, but maybe not as much as Domestic Arrangements. And it's hard not to to think about why books like this one have sort of faded from her catalog while others have risen uh, into more prominence. So be curious what happens as the readathon continues. And for those who are listening along and reading along, the next book will be breaking up uh, that will hit on July 14th. And I have a special guest for that one. The special guest is YA author Tom Ryan, who uh, wrote the book that just came out. And of course now, um, of course I can't think of the title of it. So I'm looking it up. You'll hear typing. You'll hear me looking. It's called Keep This to Yourself. It came out in May and it's not his first book. He's written a number of books before. Um, and he is a fan of Norma Klein and he and I actually happened to run into each other last weekend at the American Library Association conference and he had a copy of the book with him and he said he has a lot to talk about so I think it'll be a really great discussion um as fun as it is for me to talk about these on my own I am so fascinated to see what fellow readers have to say. So, um, as always, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Heyway Extra Credit. If you have been reading any of these books or if you've read them in the recent past and sort of have um, memory or thoughts about them, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me a message on Twitter. You can send me a message on Instagram. It's Veronica Kelly Mars on both. Um, you can also email me. I just I want to hear from readers. My email is kelly at riotnewmedia.com. Just drop in the subject that it's normal client related and then give me your thoughts. Maybe I'll read some of them in a future episode of Hawaii Extra Credit. So I will see you again next week for a full episode with Eric Smith. And then on July 14th, will you will be back with an extra credit episode with breaking up. Talk to you again soon. Bye.